Well, this Sunday we begin our sermon series on neighbors, and we're looking at what does it mean to get outside of the building, what does it mean uh, to have neighbors, to be a neighbor, and today I want to focus on what it means uh, to stand by Jesus and what it means to stand, stand, <laughs> you got that, by others. Okay, and so I am reading to us from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 15 and verses 21 through 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from the region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David! My daughter is tormented by a demon! But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, this is a strange story. I mean, this is a strange story because we find Jesus who doesn't want to heal someone. And that seems unusual in what we know about the character of God and the character of Jesus, that he doesn't want to help someone and, and even is a little bit rude to her. So if we really want to understand what's going on in this story today, we need to begin by kind of looking at the text a little bit more. And so, first of all, Jesus, and we've got one slide here that's got a map on it today. Jesus is by uh, the Sea of Galilee at Gennesaret, and he says to the disciples, hey, you know what, let's go on up to Tyre, and Sidon is just uh, above Tyre up there at the edge of the map. And this is uh, a, an area that is Phoenician. These are Phoenician seaports. But what's important is that originally this was the land of Canaan. Now Canaan was the land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. And those who are in my Bible study know that uh, the Canaanites were occupying the land when God said, you'll get this land. And so uh, the Canaanites and the people of Israel have been mortal enemies for thousands of years. You know, they have tussled over who gets to graze their flocks, who gets the water, all those kinds of things uh, that people and uh, tribes fight over in the land. And so Jesus goes up to this area, which is the land of Canaan, knowing that this is the area full of the people with whom Israel has a lot of animosity. There's no reason that we can see that he's headed there, but as they are on their way, sure enough, here comes a Canaanite woman. And she starts shouting at them, hey, you, Jesus, please, I need help. Heal my daughter. And Jesus 
says nothing. He's silent. I mean, usually Jesus will at least have some conversation. No, nothing. He just remains silent. So the disciples, they're like, yeah, send her away. Get her out of here. We don't like her. Look at her. She's a Canaanite. And then comes this very odd exchange between Jesus and the woman where he says, look, I was only sent to the people of Israel. You're obviously not one of them. And she says, you know, well, look, I'm not asking to come to the table and sit down. I just want some of the crumbs. I mean, please help me out here. And he's like, wow, your faith is so great. Let it be done. Go on home. Your daughter's fine. Okay, so this is still a very strange story. And you have to ask, what in the world is going on with Jesus here? I mean, is, is he cranky and tired because he's been working too hard? Uh, is this supposed to tell us about the persistence of faith? And if you just keep, keep at it, that God is going to hear you? Does it uh, suggest to us that, in fact, Jesus was sent only to the people of Israel? And there are some people who are actually out, outsiders and not uh, to be reached uh, with Jesus. But you know, I think there's something else going on in this story. And uh, one of the problems so often is we'll take a text and we don't look at what's surrounding it. You know, when the Bible was originally written, it didn't have all those little headings and verse numbers that we stick in there, so we think this is a complete story. But actually, the truth of the matter is, you know, it's like a sandwich. This is the meat, and you have to have the pieces of bread if you really want to eat it and digest it. So we need to look at what's going on here in chapter 15. And if you go verses 1 through 20... You find, and you can look in your Bible if you think I'm not telling the truth, you can go verses 1 through 20, and you're going to find that Jesus is there at Gennesaret, and he's encountering the Pharisees. And first, the Pharisees are kind of nitpicking. Why is it you don't follow all these laws? Why is it you let people get away with stuff? And Jesus is like, look, the laws are there to bring people closer to God. If they're getting in the way of that relationship, then they're not that important. Well, Pharisees don't like that. And then Jesus goes on to talk about this story about things that defile and he says, you know, here's the thing. We're always looking at the outside and what's going in and how people look. He said, but that's not, that's not the test. It's what's inside. It's what's in the heart. It's what's in the spirit. That's what matters. This is what Jesus is teaching the Pharisees. This is what he's telling his disciples. So then it's almost as if after doing all this teaching about what's on the inside and not worrying about all these things on the outside, Jesus says, hey, you know what? Let's go on. Let's wander our way up to Tyre because you know what? I bet we're going to run into some Canaanites up there and let's see what happens because Jesus wants to see what his disciples are going to do. Have they learned the lesson that he's been trying to teach them? So when she comes up to them, and of course she's dressed like a Canaanite, she sounds like a Canaanite. I mean, there's everything about her, they know who this is, and Jesus is just quiet. And the disciples, instead of saying, well, come here, come closer, they go, get out of here, we don't like your kind, go on, don't bother us. And it's almost as if Jesus is like, wow, do I have to reinforce this lesson yet again and show you that it's what's inside this woman that really matters. 
So Jesus reiterates, wow, look at the faith of this woman. And then, as if we weren't quite sure what he's trying to say in this chapter, they go back to Gennesaret. You don't have to show it again. Which is uh, quite interesting. You know, they just go all that way up to Tyre to encounter one woman, and then they go all the way back to Gennesaret where they came from. And what does he do there? He heals great numbers of people. He feeds the 4,000. That's how the chapter ends. Now listen, if you are out there and you're healing person after person and you're feeding 4,000 people, you're not stopping with your clipboard and checking off whether they meet all the requirements to be helped. Once again, Jesus is saying, all are welcome to what God has to offer. And I hope you get this lesson that it's what's inside of a person that I'm concerned about, not all these external things. Now, of course, you know that a good sermon is only worth its salt when it says something for us today. And as you can bet, I've got a couple things that this text is probably trying to say to all of us today. Now, the first thing is this. You know, gone are the days when you could just have a church building and expect that, like, uh, floods of people were just going to come knocking at the door and running into the church. That maybe used to happen that you could expect, build it, and they will come. That isn't the way things work anymore. It's up to us to be out in the community, building relationships, getting to know people. That's how we begin to get people and invite them into the church. And when you are out in the community, you are certain to encounter people who are different. You may find someone who's all tattooed up with a nose ring. You may find someone who has a streak of blue hair. What happened to Judy? <laughs> you may find people who speak different languages or wear different clothing or whatever, but God is saying to us, you know what? It's not what's on the outside. Don't let that stop you from bringing people to me. Look at what's on the inside, and what's on the inside of every single person is this deep yearning to connect to God. What's What's inside every person are places of brokenness, places where they are very, very human and they need healing and they need wholeness and they need salvation and they need to be in relationship. They need a community that supports them and cares for them. And unfortunately, in our world today, we have so many people who do not have communities that support them and care about them. You know, this is one of the reasons that we come to church and are faithful to a church because it's where we go that everyone knows our names. It's not a bar, it's the church where everyone knows our name. And in fact, when we're not, when we're not drinking, that's where all the people are who are calling us and checking in on us and making sure we're okay and helping us when we're in need. That's what people really are seeking, this deep kind of community. Now, I read some things this week that were very uh, disturbing, and it was kind of uh, coincidental as I was working on this sermon. And one is I read about uh, <clears throat> a survey that UCLA, the University in California, does on an annual basis for a number of years, and it's a loneliness survey. And what they do is they survey to find out how many people in the country feel lonely. 
And uh, the loneliness scale is now at record levels. More people in this country feel alone and lonely than at any time before. And part of that is due to our society and our technology, and we think we're all uh, connected, but uh, obviously there are a lot of people out there who do not feel like they have a community. But then even worse is I read a story about uh, Japan. And of course, like the US, Japan is an advanced country and everybody is supposed to be self-sufficient and you know, you can do it on your own. And what this story said is that they have so many people living alone in small apartments by themselves without any kind of family or community that they are now dying and nobody is discovering them for weeks or even months. There is no one who even notices they're gone. Uh, and in fact, there are industries that have been created to take care of the aftermath of finding all these people. Now, something is really wrong when we're living in societies where there is this deep loneliness and this lack of connectedness because what Christ is offering us is this ability to be together in deep relationships, to be woven together with people who will truly care about us and help us and be with us, stand by us. And this brings me to a second point. And that is that the truest family unit is the family of God. We talk about the church as church family because once we are in Christ, we all come together as this raggedy bunch of different, unusual people who are all one family, all children of God. It's an unusual kind of concept. Now the problem with, uh, with this is that for so long the church has had, well at least since about the 1940s, the church has kind of promoted this vision of that the church is about families of husband and wife and kids and that's the family unit that we're looking for. Now I love families, I love husband and wife and kids, I think they're wonderful, I got nothing against them here. But did you know the demographics of this country is that now there are more single people in the country than there are married people with kids under 18? Did you know that the demographics of the neighborhoods that surround this church are over half single parent families? And the problem is, they, if they get the impression that the church is only looking for this normative family unit, they will feel uncomfortable being part of God's family, which is welcoming everybody. It's a really interesting dynamic we have going on now uh, in our world. And, and I would even suggest to you that, that uh, we need to be asking people, not questions like, are you married, do you have kids? Because those can often evoke painful memories, difficult situations, and make people uncomfortable, and make people think like, maybe you're trying to see whether they fit into the mold, and you know, you can check off the boxes. But instead, we should just simply be saying, tell me about your family. 
Because today families come in all sizes and shapes and types. There are grandparents raising kids. There are extended families. There are older children moving home. There are all kinds of families. And of course this year we're going to expand our work with the single parent family network because there's a whole host of people out there who need to feel connected and loved and to know that God is real in their lives and that there's a community that cares about them. Now, if you, you know, are looking at me and saying, but you know, the scriptures do talk about this husband-wife family thing, I would also say to you, well, Jesus wasn't married, didn't have kids. Paul wasn't married, didn't have kids. John Wesley married late in life, lived with his wife for about a year, they didn't quite get along, and they separated for the remainder of their days. Now, are any of you going to tell me these weren't people that were part of God's family and doing God's work in the world? Of course, they were standing right beside Jesus. But as I said, families come in every shape and size and color and kind, and it's up to us to realize that the primary unit is the family of God and to invite people to draw closer to Jesus, to be a child of God, and to enjoy the community that comes with being part of this family of faith. So, this weird text leaves us today in a place where we've got to ask ourselves honestly, how much do we look at the outside and how much do we check off whether the people fit the boxes in our image of who should come to Jesus? Are we creating, you know, building a circle around Jesus and trying to keep him safe and send some people away? Or are we, as Jesus seems to be teaching, looking on the inside, looking at what it is that people need and are hoping for and can only find in Christ? And are we opening the doors in our lives and our hearts to invite them in to the truest family there is, the family of God. Who will we stand by? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.